Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today, getting it in a little under the wire, but uh, it's uh, May 30th, and tomorrow is May 31st, 2020. And tomorrow we are celebrating the day of Pentecost. And today we are going to be looking at preparing for Sunday, preparing for Pentecost, and uh, just what that day has in store for us in the church year and in the church, um, what it means for us uh, in relation in terms of like starting a new season in the church and um, going on after ascension and whatnot. Uh, but before we get into it all, uh, begin with the collect that we'll be praying on Sunday. So if you wouldn't mind, let us pray. O oh God, on this day you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day, by the same Spirit, to have a right understanding in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy consolation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we hear from our collect there uh, that this is all about the sending of the Holy Spirit, right? Last week we talked about the ascension and that Pentecost and this sending of the Holy Spirit in the way, in, 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 the, in the fullness that Pentecost shows, could not and would not have happened unless Christ had ascended into heaven. So we see from our collect here, if you're listen, listening closely, you'll catch a lot of what this Sunday is all about and this celebration of the day is all about. Um, where we say, uh, O God, on this day you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy consolation. So this is looking at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, what he does in his coming to us and how he comes to us, but he is, he is here to, uh, to teach us, to give us a right understanding in all things. And, you know, this, the scriptures have something to say for all aspects of life, and I don't think that a lot of people and a lot of Christians really um, recognize that. Uh, we may take it for granted what, what scripture says about certain things, but... I mean, you can pretty much stick with the, uh, the Ten Commandments, and everything in the Ten Commandments tells you exactly how you ought to behave uh, in your life uh, as, as, as a Christian. And the rest of Scripture has a whole lot there, too. There are some things that uh, Scripture doesn't say, you know. It doesn't say whether you should be a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, scripture doesn't say whether um, you should... Uh, uh, well, I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to be careful here. <laughs> the uh, Scripture does not say certain things about, you know, what sort of habits you ought to have in your life as far as whether you should read the Bible first thing in the morning or last thing at night or different things like that. But it does say generally you should be in God's Word. You should um, hear God's Word. Do not shun God's Word for you. Um, 
and also to observe all the things that God has commanded, especially what Christ has commanded. Um, but we see that these are all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we ask in this collect, which is the, the, the first, uh, it's, the, it's the collect of the day. It sets the tone for things. Um, we ask, grant us in our day by the same Spirit, by the same Holy Spirit, to have a right understanding in all things, and evermore to rejoice in His holy consolation. That is the consolation that is won by Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit always points us to Christ. Um, anytime, and then this being the day of Pentecost, we're going to get into a, a little bit. I'll try and keep it somewhat um, reasonably timed here for the for for the episode and those listening in. But with the day of Pentecost, we always come to the uh, modern group of the Pentecostals and what they believe and just what it is that they um, think that they should believe about um, how they receive the gifts of the Spirit. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that, especially getting into um, our readings for the day. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to start with the gospel text. I know usually we do start with the gospel because it revolves around that. But the gospel certainly plays a big role. But this is one of those feast days and those occasions where the historical event that is being celebrated takes precedence. So we will look at our first reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, which is about the very day of Pentecost. So... I will read that for you now. So the epistle, or no, sorry, the New Testament lesson is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, that is the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language." And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we start here with our reading from Acts chapter 2 to get an understanding of the historical event of Pentecost. Now, if y'all don't know, uh, Pentecost is the—it's actually a Old Testament festival uh, that that, um, this was all taking place on. Pentecost, uh, I believe, was from uh, Leviticus— I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to see here in my notes— and the day of Pentecost arrived. Um, that's right, Leviticus twenty-three. Right, it's 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 about the um, it's 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 exactly fifty days after Passover, and that's where you get the Pentecost. It's 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 the name that is given in the Septuagint. That is the Greek Old Testament. That Pentecost is the uh, festival for the Old Testament where you would bring your harvest and there would be wave offerings and grain offerings and things. And the um, the people who came to offer these offerings would um, say the um, the bit about, you know, my father was a wandering, was a wandering Aramean um, from Deuteronomy, uh, that they would say that they would recite these things. They would recite all sorts of things with the Psalms. It was a big festival. So it's no wonder that there were all these people gathered around for this festival. I mean, they'd they'd stick around because they were there for Passover in the first place. And this is, you know, Jesus Christ was crucified during Passover, and he was in the grave, and he rose, and this is all. And so there are all these people in Jerusalem at this time, and they're seeing all these things take place. And yet you see here in Acts chapter 2 that the day of Pentecost comes, and the disciples are all in one place. Traditionally, it's, it's thought that they were all in the upper room where all these things have taken place. This is where they've, they've just kind of stayed and continued to do what needs to be done until the Holy Spirit comes. They've, you know, since the ascension, the only thing that they've done was um, nominate and elect Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot. And they're just waiting around for this festival. They're waiting around for the Holy Spirit to come as Christ had said that he would. So the day of Pentecost comes, they were all in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament, uh, over time, became a festival that would commemorate the giving of the law 
to Moses on Mount Sinai, that in this event, that's what would be celebrated as well on Pentecost. And uh, you can see some parallels here between um, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, that you see that there are these audible and visual signs of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, right? That in the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, you have uh, thunder and smoke and the cloud and fire and all these, you know, rushing winds, you know, all these visual and audible signs that God is present. And here at Pentecost, you have the same thing. You have this, this sound that can only be described as a mighty rushing wind. And, and, then, um, and then there's um, tongues of fire, right? Flame. But the flame doesn't consume the disciples, now the apostles. The, so there's, there's parallels there between, and, and you know, um, Moses saw the burning bush, and the burning bush did not consume the bush or Moses, right? And Moses, while he was on Mount Sinai, um, was in the presence of God, and God is an all-consuming fire, and yet he was not destroyed. In the same way, the disciples are not destroyed. And also, Moses was given the law, he was given the Torah, which is not just law, it's also instruction. There's a promise added into that word. Um, this promise that started with, you know, the, that the Lord your God will bring you up out of the land of Egypt, that he will deliver you from slavery, these sort of things. That there's a promise that, you know, the Torah is the law and gospel as we Lutherans like to boil it down and distill it down to the Torah is the full teaching of God. In fact, not just Lutherans, but, you know, all Christians ought to understand this. That, um, and then the church for all time has understood this too. That the Torah, the teaching, the instruction, what, what we typically hear translated as law, is promise and um laws, law and gospel. So just to kind of summarize it there. But so you see that there are parallels here between the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and Pentecost. It's very interesting. And you see that there are what we would understand as the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, this is where we get into some uh, issues with uh, the Pentecostal uh, movement those who are keen on saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to speak in tongues as a sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we would definitely say that's not true, that if you listen to Pentecostals and their version of speaking in tongues, they may have someone there that is um, interpreting, and I'll put those in air quotes, that's interpreting what they're saying, but really it's no discernible actual spoken language like what is happening here on Pentecost. That these men of God that are inspired by the Holy Spirit are speaking in languages that are known. It's not a spiritual language, and some Pentecostals will say, well, we're speaking in the tongue of angels, but the tongue of angels as is, is understood to be Hebrew. So at, at least that's a known language. And if they're up there, you know, and they say they have the Spirit, and you hear, and you hear it, and it sounds like gibberish, it, well, it is. It is gibberish. Um, 
you know, speaking in tongues is actually speaking in a known language that can be interpreted by actual means of knowledge of this language. Um, speaking in tongues, you know, there's this understanding of language here that's attached here that is very personal. It's very intimate in some ways that these men who were gathered around for this festival were coming to bring their sacrifices for the temple. And when they would go into the temple for these sacrifices, the priests would be speaking in Hebrew. And the men who would come to bring these sacrifices were expected to say certain things in Hebrew. Now, it has been recorded, I believe, by Josephus that at some point there was a, a, there was a bit of a controversy where over time, because of the um, diaspora, uh, diaspora, however you want to say it, that because of those who, um, because of the exiles, right, the exiles into Babylon um, and the exiles um, because of the conquering of, of um, the two kingdoms of Israel, that these people were carried off into exile to these foreign lands and they never came back and they, they raised families. They did exactly what God told them to do, you know, raise families, plant crops, live because you're not going to see your homeland again. And their children would be descendants of the exiles and they would come back to Jerusalem when the temple was reestablished and they would come back for Passover and these high holy feast days. So, but they grew up maybe learning a little bit of Hebrew, maybe knowing a little bit of Aramaic or Greek or something like that, because those were things that you needed to know in order to get by in the city of Jerusalem for these festivals. So you would be functional, but you wouldn't be like eloquent in them. You wouldn't be well-versed unless you were very well-educated. Um, and it's pretty remarkable that uh, these men would come and they would know different languages. They would know Greek, right? But they're not hearing the disciples speak in Greek. They're hearing the disciples speak in their native language, in their mother tongue. And there's something, like I said, is very intimate about that, where you may get, um, you know, I was on Vicarage and uh, in, in Ohio, in Valley City, Ohio, and there were people who were, grew up in Germany and they lived in Ohio and they came to church there at St. Paul in Valley City. And um, there was a time, it, it, it was my last Sunday that I was supposed to preach there as, as the vicar. And I read part of the gospel lesson from the pulpit as part of the sermon. I read part of it in German. And I even apologized in German if it wasn't good enough. And they loved it. And, and sure, that was a bit of pandering. But at the same time, I knew that they would appreciate it because they, it, it was just so much a part of who they were and what they grew up speaking and knowing and hearing their parents and their grandparents speak. It's a very, it's very much a part of them and they can functionally worship in English, but to hear that German tongue, it brings them home and it's makes them much more attentive and, and much more comfortable, if you will, too. So there's a power in language that is emphasized here on Pentecost where these men are hearing their language, the, the mighty works of God being preached in their native tongue. And that's the real miracle here, is that 
the word of God and the kingdom of God is now given to all nations, that everyone, no matter what tribe, what language, what race, ethnicity, culture, background, whatever it is, you are now able by the power of God to be a part of the kingdom of God. And also, we see here from Peter's sermon at Pentecost um, that he starts with the prophet Joel. And Joel is prophesying of this day, but he's also prophesying of, you know, this is where you get a lot of dispensationalists saying, he's talking about the last day when Christ will return and you get, you know, this apocalyptic understanding. And that's certainly part of it. I mean, there's an eschatological understanding of it and eschatology, eschatology is the study of the end times, right? So there is that understanding, but the cross the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is an end times event. It is the catalyst that brings about the beginning of the end, that now in Christ, people can receive and do receive the forgiveness of sins by grace through faith, that in these Parts here of Joel, you might hear someone say, well, Joel spoke of these great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, you know what happened? So when in history can we see that the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood? Oh, that was when Jesus was crucified. Yeah, it became dark at a certain time of day when it shouldn't have been dark, right? That there were earthquakes and peals of thunder and, and the temple curtain was torn in two. All these things happened, right? And because of that, because of the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that Acts chapter 2, verse 21, quoting um, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, I believe, saying, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That because of what Christ has done in being crucified, by carrying our sins to the cross, having them crucified with him, having them die with him, and having them buried with him, that on the third day when Christ rose from the dead, it came to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That that is the true miracle of Pentecost, that these people can understand that, they can hear that in their own language. It's not a barrier by ethnicity or race or language or tribe or whatever that now all these people have access to God, and it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that they do. And um, you see here that uh, if we go on into our readings for today, um, that we'll go back a little bit and we'll go to our Old Testament text, which is from Genesis chapter 11. I'll just reference it. It's the Tower of Babel, or Babel, as some people say. I mean, it's really pronounced Babel, but... Um, if you say Babel, it kind of is uh, a play on words as far as people having their speech confused, their languages confused. But, well, you know what? I'll just read it. It's only nine verses, so we're doing fairly well on time. I'll read it here real quick. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here that uh, this comes after the flood, and we're not going to get too much in the weeds here, but we're going to stick to the uh, simple facts of the matter that there is a sinful action on the people they are this is after the flood descendants descendants of noah uh, shem ham and japheth um i believe i'm getting that right <laughs> if i'm not let me know um but the descendants of noah after the flood they are coming out and they are settling and god says he he, he repeats the the command that he gave to adam and eve you know um uh be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? But these people, they don't. They stop in one place and they say, we're just going to name, we're, we're going to stay here. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And they actively disobey God's command, right? And they are of one language and, the, and then they have, and the, they have the same words. Now, this is a great power, but in the negative, right? And there are some who will look at this and say, well, so God is saying, you know, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So what? God is jealous because of what they can do now? Well, what we under, what we have to understand here is that it's not about it's not that they can do anything. You know, they can't turn water into wine, they can't walk on water, they can't do the things that Jesus did. But what he's basically saying is, you know, God is saying nothing will be impossible for them to do in their rebellion. Basically, that their sinfulness would know no bounds. They could do whatever they want, right? So then God, to keep them from this great evil, from indulging in this great sin, to further their sinfulness by their actions and their deeds, he confuses their speech, right? And they, they disperse. They go, they go out, and, and they, um, their language is confused. And from that point on, you know, you just have the, the, um, the development of all these different languages that, 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 that started there at Babel. And, uh, you know, people can't really under—I mean, even speaking the same language, we hardly understand each other, especially these days. So here we see that the Tower of Babel— this beginning of this confusion of speech, that Pentecost reverses this. It reverses this curse, but not in a way to where it's restored exactly the way it was, where the whole earth has one language and the same words, but it is that the curse is reversed in that we still retain our unique identity, our personalities, if you were, which include the languages that we speak. Um, and the our personalities and our distinctive qualities are retained, yet we are made one. 
you know. So all of these different tribes, languages, cultures, ethnicities, you know, they now are brought into the kingdom of God. And of course they are shaped and they are changed by by um, the will of God, you know, the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the understanding the understanding gained from the Holy Spirit when we are in God's word, that our culture and our and, and our speech and everything is shaped, but we still retain our distinct personalities. So that in the end, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may see that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, right? That every every different language under heaven would be able to be heard in that language, giving praise to God and hearing God and his mighty works being done in their own language. So that's the connection there with the Tower of Babel. Um, we're running low on time, but I will stop here. I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, our gospel text really brings all of this home. That our gospel text is from John chapter 14, verses 23 through 31. I'll read that real quick because that's also pretty short here. Um, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So, we see here that the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is actually named here. And basically, well, let's start with this. Where is this being spoken? In the upper room, right? Before Christ is betrayed by Judas. It's the night in which he was betrayed that um, here in this text, let me just turn real quick to John chapter 14 and see just the context of these things. Because this is where they're in the upper room and um, it's where Jesus institutes his Holy Supper. Now, John doesn't have the, uh, John doesn't record the institution of the Lord's Supper like the, like the Synoptic Gospels do, but the Lord's Supper is instituted on this night in this place. And you see here from John chapter 14, 23 through 31, where Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, where he actually gives him the word, you know, the paraclete. Um, but he literally says, this is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That in this promise, we see that in the day of Pentecost, that Peter, 
in his sermon, remembers. He is called to a recollection the things that were spoken of old in the prophets, right? And we heard last week for the ascension that Jesus says that um, all the prophets and that the word of the... um, Let me go to Luke and just see here real quick. That um, he says that the prophets, um, the books of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all proclaim him, right? He says um, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, this is Luke chapter 24, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Right? And then he says, Behold, I am sending the promise, that is the Holy Spirit, of, the fa- of, of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now that day has come in Pentecost, and we see that the Holy Spirit has called to Peter's mind, to St. Peter's mind, this prophecy from Joel saying that, you know, this was all about Jesus Christ. It proclaims Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go a little bit longer in Acts there, you see that he's preaching to them. And he's preaching, he's saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That in speaking the gospel, in speaking the the word of God, these men who were cowering in fear before are now emboldened by the Holy Spirit to speak and proclaim the word of God to people, even the very people who crucified Jesus. That their fear of death is gone because they have the peace that only God can supply through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought the peace of God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. It is literally you know, guarding their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus their Lord so where they can say these things and really cut to the heart of the people that are listening. The same people who said, that they're drunk, right? And they say, you know, people hear this. It says they they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, and this is important, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Yes, that means baptize your babies, okay? Yes, that means baptize all of the people in your household. Not just those who can can say, you know, give a personal testimony, but baptize even your children, right? This promise is for your children and for all who are far off. That's not just to say the children that are to come and you know this, that, and the other. I'm not gonna go too far into this. I'll, I'll save it for another day if I do a talk specifically on baptism. But that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It calls to mind the things that God has promised 
that we remember, not just in recollection, but we recall, we recognize all the things that Jesus Christ has done in his word and what he has spoken to us in his word and what has been spoken of him in the Old Testament, the book of Mo- the books of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that all these things proclaim Christ and all these things are fulfilled in Christ. And last thing, <laughs> that... John chapter 14 from our, go- our gospel text for, for this Sunday. We hear this word, remembrance. What do you think of? Well, you ought to think of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. That in eating and drinking the very body and blood of Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, that in doing these things, you are not just reminiscing, You're not just remembering. You are participating. You are receiving the very forgiveness. That is what it means to remember. You are receiving the forgiveness of sins, right? That um, it's a recognition of everything Jesus said and did in sacrificing himself on the cross. That in eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, we receive the crucified, risen, and ascended body and blood of Christ for us for our benefit. And I will say this, that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is to call us to spiritual renewal, right? We go back to our collect. We'll end with this. Our collect says, O God, on this day you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy consolation. That we are always called to spiritual renewal. And that means being always called back to the grace that we have received in our baptism. That being washed with the water and the word, the triune name of God that covered us, that we remember these things by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ought to remember them daily. We ought to daily, by daily contrition and repentance, drown the old Adam, right? That's what the small catechism says. We daily do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls to recollection all that Christ has done for us, even in our baptism where we were baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ, St. Paul says in Romans, if we are baptized into a death like his, we will surely be baptized into a resurrection like his. That um, the power of the Holy Spirit calls us to remember his promises in being with us, that we can trust him when he says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Take, drink, this is my the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, right? Um, and, and, and you hear these things and, you, and, and the Holy Spirit grants you the faith to grasp onto them, to trust them, to trust these words, these promises of Christ, and to trust what Christ has done for you. So that also means that when you believe these things that you have been properly you properly understand what is going on as you know as best you can by the power of the holy spirit you believe what is taking place on the altar in the body and blood of christ being presented to you by the words of christ 
being spoken for you, that hearing these things, you should want to run to the altar every chance that you get, that if you have weekly communion at your church, which thanks be to God, we have it here at Resurrection, we we are still practicing social distancing and things like that. We have a special way of, of, of uh, distribution and things. But the thing is, is that if you are given the opportunity to receive the body and blood of Christ, you take it, you receive it. You know, if, you know, of course, if you, if you um, are new to Lutheranism, you need to talk to your pastor first, you know, the pastor that you're uh, at, at the church that you're visiting or wanting to become a member of, they need to properly examine you. There's all th- sort of things that go along with that. But once you have been a catechized, instructed believer, you know, someone who has been instructed on these things and believe these things, that, they, that it is the true body and blood of Christ, you should want to take it, every, you, want to, you should want to receive it every chance that you get. That if you show up to church one day and you say, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go up today because I, you know, I don't really need it. I got it last week. No big deal. It's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Well, you know, it's not to be too harsh, but um, you need to repent because if the body and blood of Christ is being offered to you and you don't really understand what it means to be in the sinful flesh, well, I'll just say it like this. Luther put it best. Let me just read what Luther wrote in his small catechism because there's a part here where it says, um, what should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? That is this need um, for forgiveness of sins received in the body and blood of Christ, right? What should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? In the small catechism, it says, To such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, he should touch his body to see if he still has flesh and blood. Literally pinch yourself. Do you still have flesh and blood? Yep. Well, then you still have sin. You're still in this world, and you're still under attack by Satan. You need all the help that you can get. Right? It goes on to say, Then he should believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Second, he should look around to see whether he is still in the world and remember that there will be no lack of sin and trouble. As the scriptures say in John 15 through 16 and in 1 John 2 and 5. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without. As the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6 and 2 Timothy 2. So you see here that if you come to church and you say, eh, I'm okay. I don't don't need to receive the body and blood of Christ. I got it last week. Well, I mean, pinch yourself, look around, and make sure that, uh, you know, you're made of what you're made of, and you are where you are, because if you still have flesh and blood, you still have sin. If you're still in this world, you're still under attack. And also, being in this world, the devil is never going to stop coming after you, and he has pretty much convinced your flesh that you don't need the forgiveness of sins received in the body and blood of Christ. Sorry to be harsh, but that's the way it is. Um, That we should be receiving the body and blood of Christ whenever it is given to us. We do not know what tomorrow holds. Sorry. We do not know what God holds for us tomorrow. I'll say it that way, because that's the right way to say it. 
that we do not know what God has in store for us, and that if we are given extra assurance of forgiveness of sins in receiving the body and blood of Christ, we should take it gladly because it is a gift and we should hold it close to us and cherish it, that God would be so gracious as to give us such means of grace that we could be without a doubt that he loves us and shows his love for us in his word and his sacraments. So uh, let that be a, a strong word of exhortation to everyone at Resurrection and to everyone else who's listening, um, who goes to another uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod uh, congregation, that whenever, you when, when, whenever you're offered the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, don't begrudge it. And don't think, you know, I would encourage you, don't think that it is made any less special because you take it more frequently, as if familiarity breeds contempt. It's not that the body and blood of Christ has become less special because of your frequency of receiving it. It's that the reason why you think that is because your flesh is becoming calloused and you're listening to the lie of Satan that you don't really need it. So with that cheery uh, note of... Um, hope <laughs> or exhortation, let me also add this, that receiving the body and blood of Christ, remembering your baptism, hearing the word of God and the absolution spoken to you by the pastor, these things bring peace. The Holy Spirit brings peace. He brings the consolation that is only won by Jesus Christ and his blood shed for you on the cross. He brings the peace that we all can say amen to it's amen, meaning yes, yes, it shall be so. And may this peace that God grants you guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God's grace and peace be with you as you celebrate uh, the, fest the festival, the feast of Pentecost tomorrow, wherever you are, um, wherever you are blessed to gather. Um, if you are still able to gather. Um, if you're in Fredericksburg, please come see us at Resurrection. Um, we will uh, welcome you um, with open arms. Well, we won't give you a hug yet, but <laughs> we'll um, wave at you and we'll wish you well and uh, grant you God's and wish you God's peace as well. Um, with that, uh, God's blessings to you. God's blessings on your worship tomorrow. Um, and uh, may God's peace be with you as you celebrate the wonderful festival of Pentecost. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>